as, as we think about um, inside of, you know, the series, um, what the cross means, it's more than just uh, an event that took place. Um, we want to start there that it is an actual event that took place 2,000 years ago where Jesus laid his life down willingly for you or for me, but it also has an impact today and it has the capacity to shape and form even how we live today. So we're going to talk about over these next weeks the way of the cross and uh, specifically these uh, different metaphors that kind of uh, that the New Testament uses. We mentioned, you know, last week that the New Testament writers could have locked in on any one of these. The most obvious, for instance, would have been the, the sacrificial imagery that comes out of the entire Old Testament, Leviticus and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy and then throughout the whole rest of the thing. And they could have interpreted Jesus's life and death all through the lens of the Jewish temple and sacrifice, and that would have made complete sense to the first century audience. Even the non-Jewish audience would have had enough exposure and awareness to know. But on purpose, the New Testament writers uh, use a variety of different metaphors, and the image that we used last week is almost like a kaleidoscope. Uh, As the light hits the different pieces of metal at a different angle, it changes the picture and the brilliance and the detail and the dimensions of what's there. It's the same light source, it's the same, you know, little uh, tube and the pieces of metal inside, but when the light hits it differently, there's different nuances that come out. And so for the New Testament writers to, to talk about aspects of, you know, that battle imagery of, of the one who conquers and, and who defeats death, who willingly lays this life down, who's the one who stands in and becomes that, you know, centerpiece of human his, history to reconcile us, to, to repair a broken relationship. Again, the sacrificial imagery out of, you know, the temple system and temple sacrifice. This satisfaction that somehow the enmity or the distance between us and God had to be settled, had to be, you know, there had to be something, you know, satisfied inside of what was owed or what was lacking. Redemption that we've been purchased, that we've been bought with a price. That Jesus took our place and took our punishment. The legal imagery that, that we've been justified and made right and that the, the justice, the accountability for our sin and our error was uh, declared not guilty by Jesus inside of what he did. And that then we've been adopted and we are now members of the family of God because of Christ. And again, there's, there's richness. And within each of these, there are a number of verses and a, a number of sub-images, if you will, that occur with each. Let me say it again. The New Testament writers, if they wanted to, could have locked on to one of them. After all, it's more clear if we just, let's pick a metaphor and go with it. Let's have a little council inside of Jerusalem, and it's 35 AD, and we're going to decide the way we're going to preach Christ is, boom. They could have done that. But I think under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they know that something as vast and as enormous that changes the scope of all human history as the cross, you cannot explain it simply with one earthly metaphor. And so while each of these is necessary, they are all somewhat insufficient in and of themselves. So as we begin to talk about that, that's where we're going to go over these next uh, few weeks is to jump into a little bit deeper what you already know and verses that you've memorized perhaps and songs that you sing that tap into each and every one of those metaphors. So last week I invited Eddie and Bill to come up and we're going to carry that conversation piece that we Um, that we've done a little bit over the course of the past year, and throughout Lent we're going to do that. And last week, Eddie and Bill both came up, and, uh, you know, I asked them which which metaphor was, 
you know, stood out the most in some of your formative years of faith. We also talked about, you know, was there maybe one on the list that you feel like hasn't really been talked about much, either inside of your life or even inside of our church? And why is it important? How does the cross work? What does it actually accomplish? What is it that's taken place? And why is it important each and every year that we spend seven weeks in a row talking about the centrality, the importance, the significance of the cross? So Eddie's going to come back up in a couple of minutes because I want to begin kind of where he centered his uh, reflection last week in talking about the relational imagery, the reconciliation imagery of the cross. And that's where we're going to begin today with, you know, both uh, the familial and, and the reconciliation and taking those two together. And for Eddie, he, he said that uh, coming into a relationship with Christ as a, as a child and in a camp setting kind of shaped uh, you know, the, the dominance of that metaphor for him. I began to think this week that that also was part of my story. I also came, came to Christ in a youth camp setting and uh, at the age of 14. And so for me, even though uh, before I ever knew that I had a sin problem, I knew that I had a relationship problem. Now, it wasn't just trying to get a girl to like me or anything like that, but I knew that I had a relationship that if God was real... I did not know him, and there really wasn't a place of importance, let alone centrality, for him inside of my life. And so while it was important for me, and I'm not, you know, we're going to get to this in future weeks, the sin problem was important, but the first thing that became obvious to me was there was a gap inside of, if God was real, then what role did he play inside of my life, and that was certainly lacking. Before I understood the extent of my need for a Savior, I knew that I wanted Christ to come and live in and with me. I heard sermons about Jesus laying down his life. I heard stories about we've been purchased by the blood. I had heard sermons, you know, about, you know, Christ who defeated hell and death. But I think it was the imagery of relationship and of reconciliation that began to really speak deeply to my teenage mind and to what I understood about my life and where Jesus could come and make a difference. And so we use phrases like, I met Jesus, or I invited Jesus into my heart, or I accepted Jesus, or I began to walk with Jesus. And that relational language dominates how we talk about our faith, but I think sometimes it doesn't dominate how we talk about the cross. And Eddie and I are going to get into that in just a couple of moments, but, but I want to remind you that from the very beginning of Scripture, so from Genesis to Revelation... Salvation is relationship. Salvation is relational. That it wasn't something just external that through, you know, the, the, the shedding of blood, there's forgiveness of sin inside of the temple imagery. But even beyond that, salvation has always been relationship. And so Adam and Eve are created and, and they have fellowship with God. And in the cool of the evening, God comes down to walk with and to talk with these two people made in his image. And they're meant to have fellowship together. And so the, the first definition of, of sin is, is, yes, the disobedience of Adam and Eve, but the consequence is the breaking, the fracturing of relationship. Because that was God's intent and, and design and desire for humanity. You move on, and even, you know, the, the, the Noah story involves a relationship with a man and, and a man's obedience to what he heard from God and God's salvation of a particular family. And in that family unit, to identify with and to use them and to shape them for a new beginning. 
And then you come to chapter 12 and God again calls one man and he says, I want you to leave your family and your homeland because I'm going to make you into a new nation, a great nation with a great inheritance and a land. And I, I want to, again, do something through you and your family. And so Abraham sets out and he leaves his homeland for a land that God is going to show him and his ancestors. And with Isaac and with Jacob and with the tribes of Israel that, that come forth from there, the work of, of God inside of the world was always tied to relationship. And so you flip through the Psalms and you flip through the prophets and you begin to see that inside of all the other analogies and metaphor that one of the threads that runs throughout Scripture is the fact that God wants to be known and to know his people. That God is a self-revealing God, that, that we don't just have an idea of God that if you do the right things, you're in right relationship, but that we can actually know God, and that is so different than any of the other major world religions. That there could be a personal knowledge and relationship that is two-way, that God wants to know you and wants you to know him, and he's made that possible primarily and ultimately through the cross. Salvation is relationship. And the relational categories run throughout uh, Scripture. And so I want to read for you uh, four passages. Uh, Normally we like to camp out inside of one passage and maybe accent with a few other verses, but I want to read uh, four sections real quick before Eddie comes up, uh, because I think they kind of pull together and collectively kind of illustrate what, quite honestly, we all know to be true if we've spent time inside of Scripture. So uh, here we go, Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to begin with, uh, beginning with verse number 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Romans chapter 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but rather the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And Paul would go on to say, we groan inwardly as we await for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Talking about salvation and this new life that we have in Christ, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And finally, from Ephesians 2, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. 
Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So again, this is not uh, normally our our custom, and that's a whole lot to throw at you. Um, You know, four different passages, uh, but I think collectively they kind of illustrate this for us. And so uh, Eddie's in seminary, and I I thought what better thing to do than to read four passages, and then um, Eddie's going to take the next 10 minutes and explain it all to you perfectly, and then we'll be done and we'll be out of here. That's why I brought the stool. You guys are in for a treat. We have have time, right? We We have a lot of time. All the time in the world. We cut a whole song. Um, so now we have the rest of the time for this. So it's uh, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot in there. I mean, there's the First Peter passage. You know that we are you know a chosen people, a holy nation, God's special possession. Um, then you know inside the Romans passage that we are adopted, that we're heirs. Um, you know in Second Corinthians that God's reconciling. Um, the Ephesians passage that we are you know His workmanship, um, that we've been brought near. You know in, inside of all that. And there are other places. There's 10 other passages we could have read, you know, that talk mm-hmm. about salvation inside of this relational terms. And so, you know, you kind of kicked us off with that last week. Uh, you know, what does, you know, either these passages or even since we've talked about it last week, does it bring anything else to mind? And then um, I think where I want to go after that is, do you think we have a tendency to then kind of push this language to the back burner? Mm-hmm. And so even though it's very important, we sometimes don't talk about the cross in relational terms. Right. I, and I think we touched on it last week and, and even during the week when you and I were talking about it. Um, the phrases like, I met Jesus or I invited Jesus into my heart. And that was a very big, that was a very big thing for me uh, in the camp setting. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know it was for you too. Um, I remember the night at Malaga very, very clearly. I felt like there was something... I needed to be fixed, and, and there needed to be that gap filled. And <clears throat> I think along the way, as we grow up, as we get older, um, we become more independent as people. Um, you start to not use so many words of dependency, like I invited someone to be a part of me, but now I'm doing the work. Hmm. And, and, you know, I think there's, there's part of that where some of it's growth, some of it's just a, a maybe adulthood. Um, you know, when we're kids, we, we look at that father figure, we look at that independence and the dependence aspect of it, we don't necessarily know that, but we're, we're looking at that relation like I need this figure in, in my life um, to guide me, to direct me, to walk beside me because I'm so young and, and I'm not totally aware of what's going on. But I think as we get older, we start to become more resilient, we become more independent, we become more self-reliant. I know in my own case, you know, that's, that's definitely... A, it can it can get the gray line of is it a fault is it a, a attribute right is it yeah. is it good is it bad am I too independent am I not dependent enough um, and I think to to speak to the back burner side of it I think we do push some of that relational kind of infancy in Christ beside us you know we no longer meet Christ or we no longer invite him but we walk with him and and do you need to 
bring that more to the forefront, that, you know, those things like prayer and devotion time and interpersonal relationships within the body of Christ, do they need to walk hand in hand with the phrases of the relational aspect of I meet Christ daily? Yeah. And, and so if the statistics hold true inside of this room, 80% of us had our first or our most foundational experience in Christ before the age of 18, mm. right? Maybe that was somebody invited you to VBS or to a youth camp or, you know, Sunday school, or maybe you had, you know, loving parents who kind of nurtured you in the faith. And the relational language speaks when you're younger because, yeah. quite honestly, the idea that, you know, Jesus bled on the cross for me, even if, you know, yeah. even if you get that picture, you don't really understand the full depths and right. you're parents or Sunday school teachers probably should not explain to you, like, uh, we don't show the passion of the Christ to our, to, you know, three-year-olds in Sunday school, right? Um, uh, but there's, there seems to be something, you know, you're right, and I can't necessarily put my finger on it either, but as we, as we grow up into adulthood, we tend to then focus on those, you know, deeper, you know, seemingly concepts, and we still use the relational language, but it's almost like we talk about, you know, God, Jesus, the cross, salvation, in these like deeper terms and then the Christian life, prayer, daily mm -hmm. devotions inside of, it's almost like we separate those two tiers a little bit. I think, I think that that speaks to very clearly is that I think we do um, segment our lives, you know, the Christian walk of reconciliation and meeting God is, is left to the church building, left to a Sunday morning worship time and the times of personal devotion and personal growth are just that, they're, they're separate, they're, they're, um, they're a me growth and not necessarily a, a body life growth together where they should, you know, I think, and, and I know this is, is true in, in my own life, as I got older, you start using those bigger words, you know, I've been redeemed, I've been reconciled, I've been um, sanctified, you know, yeah. some of those bigger theological terms that it almost becomes disjointed that those words mean the relational aspect mm -hmm. and you know and again to go back to I think sometimes we think it just sounds childish to speak of it in those terms you know the yeah. the father figure of of the trinity and and sometimes I think it's an, an attempt to um really stand for you know the centrality of scripture and the truth of God's word right. and the historical event of the cross it, is to point to some of those other you know those more theologically rich terms mm -hmm. because the relational things can be seen as a little bit more relativistic. You know, like I invited Jesus into my heart or God lives in me and, and maybe we've heard somebody, you know, say something or we've seen somebody post something on Facebook where like, you know, Jesus lives in me and so he told me to go rob this bank or whatever and you're like, what? Like that's not consistent with scripture. <laughs> and so sometimes, you know, I think the, the relational language can be fuzzy and is sometimes misused. Yeah. So it, does, it ceases to become a dominant metaphor for us about salvation. Well, yeah, and, and, and even so, to, to use the, the fuzzy language, you know, does the relational aspect become just warm and fuzzy and, like, this is what makes me feel good, but the heart of it all is, you know, my salvation, my justification, my sanctification. You know, the relational aspect is just what makes me feel good inside, and, and yeah. the other end is, is that, that's Christianity right there. Yeah. The other, the other thing is, and we'll kind of get to this in a little bit also, is we tend to take relationships for granted. Yeah. And, and so, again, for all these same reasons, um, all right, as an 8-year-old or as a 12-year-old or as a 16-year-old, I understood that, you know, 
I'm a child of God. God lives inside of my heart. God wants to live in relationship with me. And like, all right, so I checked that box. Right. Now we're going to go on and, you know, talk about the dimensions of it. Like, how do I understand, you know, when I read Hebrews about, you know, that Jesus laid down his life as the ultimate sacrifice and the great high priest for my sin, or, you know, like I read words that he paid, paid the price and what's it mean that Jesus paid the debt. And, and, and again, all, all those things that I'm excited to get to in these future weeks, I'm not saying they're unimportant, but sometimes the, in addition to being kind of like fuzzy, you know, and like, you know, touchy-feely, it's also something that we feel like we have a basic understanding of and we yeah. can put it on the back burner. Right, and I, I think there's some, there's some great value in just the basics, right? The more I get into seminary and, and the countless books that I'm reading, um, it's been said that, like, your vocabulary, your understanding of theological ideas is now here, and you start to speak like them out, you know, you speak them quickly, and you speak them like you know what they're talking about, and you lose people so fast um, that sometimes the basics, are, that's where we need to be sometimes. I think, you know, listening to a three-year-old tell you why they believe in Jesus sometimes speaks more powerfully than 25 minutes of me telling a theological concept, you know, and, yeah. and I think going back to the basics may, may be helpful. So Evangeline hasn't memorized expiation and propitiation <laughs> yet. Uh, you know, there's um, penal, I sub, I penal substitution. You know, I haven't memorized those. Okay. That's, um, all right. Well, let's unpack this because, again, like I mentioned, with each of the metaphors, there's kind of like, you know, sub points and, and all sorts of different things. So this, the whole idea of relationship, again, is fairly, you know, easy to understand, right? And we've read the verses and we use kind of the language, but I want to press that forward and go a little bit deeper. Um, you know, kind of with just three descriptors, and again, there's nothing revolutionary or even super deep about these things, but I think when we talk and we use this family imagery or this, you know, reconciliation imagery, there's some things that come up, and, and the first is, you know, that there's, there's a spatial component. There's nearness imagery that makes up familial imagery. Now, this might be difficult because not all, all of us have super close families, but in general, you know, when Scripture uses the, the family language, it's talking about that there could be closeness. You know, once you were not a people, now you are a people. Once you were far off, now you've been brought near. Uh, you know, that you were chosen, that you were a special possession. There's this idea of intimacy that what's been made possible through the cross is, you know, that, that things become personal, that God becomes personal, that it becomes close. And when you get close, you know, it gets messier. And we know that inside of our human relationships, right, that, you know, the you know, the closer you get where you let someone in, it has the opportunity for, you know, things to get messy or for mm -hmm. things to get harder, not necessarily easier. Um, but sometimes, you know, I think inside of, you know, this idea that, you know, we kind of get intuitively that God wants to have a closer relationship with me, um, but the cross makes that possible. You know, yeah. the, that the, the blood of Jesus on the cross, you know, his death on the cross makes intimacy with God possible. You know, for a whole bunch of different reasons, again, that the other metaphors, you know, kind of help make sense of as well. Um, but it's, it's important language because it's, it's proximity language. Like, our faith doesn't have to be external, but it's personal and it's real and it's close. And, and it's developing, I think, also. You know, yeah. like, there's a continued growth, um, just like in our other earthly relationships. You know, I am I'm married because, you know, I wear this wedding ring and because at an altar on the 7th of August in 1999, I think. <laughs> I right, there. 1999. Um, that was the year. I'm pretty sure of that. I'm sorry, um, Rachel. <laughs> it's, uh, 
But yes, I mean, we were married on that date, but like, you know, marriage continues to be like, if, if I said I'm not going to work on my marriage at all, because after all, like, I'm wearing the ring and I have the piece of paper and we have the picture. No, I mean, it's an ongoing dynamic that you grow in. And that's kind of this nearness imagery is that God wants to continue to draw us uh, close to himself. And, um, you know, so I think, you know, again, the other imageries, you know, talk about, you know, the sacrifice or the penalty, like they nuance this, but, you know, one of the things we miss that's so primary in there is that, you know, God did that in order that we might have that potential for a close, intimate relationship with himself. Yeah. Um, and the picture I see there is almost, you know, the veil being torn in two, right? That once right. God was inaccessible or only partially accessible, and now we have access. Right, yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's, um, again, we kind of know that, but to think about that when you think about the cross, that the cross makes possible nearness. Right, and even, I mean, the nearness kind of lends itself to the, the son and daughter imagery is that, you know, the, the son or the daughter, you know, we're all children of someone, that that carries a connection, that carries some kind of, of weight to it. Um, and I think for me that, that was the hardest imagery for me to kind of to wrestle with growing up and, and that, that implication of family and what does that mean to every one of us. And every one of us has a different story, every one of us has a different family, and that plays into every decision we make now. So if you had a great growing up, if you had a great childhood, a great family, you know, being a son or a daughter means something really wonderful. And if you had a not so great, maybe that carries such a, a different context for you. But, you know, Paul writes to the Galatian church, he says, you know, if we're in Christ, then we are children of God through our faith. So it's through our faith that we become part of this family. We're adopted into um, a family, and that carries with it inheritance, that carries with it a future, a past, all the things that are the family of God. Uh, and we don't necessarily always think about inheritance. You know, it's kind of like almost taboo. You know, I'm going to get an inheritance someday, um, someday in the future. But the inheritance of the family of God, you know, it's, it's legal. It's, it's binding, you know, by coming into faith through Christ, through the blood of Christ. We are part and we can partake in the inheritance that is heaven, that is relationship with God, that is the gap that has been bridged. Um, you know, it, it kind of shapes who we are now in the context of the death of, of Christ. And, you know, it gives us a new name. It gives us a new place and a new purpose almost as we continue on, um, as we grow in faith, as we grow. Um, I, I love the imagery that Paul uses in Romans <clears throat> to say, you know, the Spirit comes in and we cry out, Abba, Father. You know, Abba translated means Papa. It, it's Daddy, it's, it's probably the most intimate you can be with the parental image. Um, it's not dad, it's not father, it's, it's papa, it's daddy. It's, hmm. it's, there's this rich closeness, this nearness, as, as you were saying, that, that just connects us from one to the other. Yeah. Yeah, I remember this brings to mind, I, was, I remember sitting in an ordination interview and, you know, you're surrounded by, you know, 10 or 15 other clergy and they try to throw these questions at you to, to stump you. Mm. And one of them was, um, is everybody a child of God? Mm. And uh, which, you know, you could, you don't know what the people around the circle, you know, are like <laughs> thinking, wanting, but, you know, and there's this idea that we've all been made in the image of God and that Christ died for, you know, for God so loved the world. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been made in his image, we've been bought with a price, but it, and, and yet there's a dimension to which Yes, you know, every person you ever see is a person for whom Christ died mm -hmm. and would love to have a relationship with, but then 
there's a second tier to it that when we come into a relationship with him, we are adopted. We become yeah. members of his family. We're given a new name and a new yeah. identity and an inheritance and, you know, and even some expectations, you know, that, that go along with that. Yeah. Um, you know, so not everyone is a child. Like, it's yeah. kind of a yes and no um, answer, was, which is very oh, yeah. frustrating when you're sitting in front of, you know, <laughs> people, you know, determining your future. Well, it's you know. even that language of, like, we are God's handiwork. Uh, another translation says we are God's workmanship. You know, we are, in essence, we are a work of art. Um, we are crafted by a creator to be in relationship. So, you know, that, that imagery that we are built to be um, in closeness, you know, and, and we shy away from that. We run away from that. And coming into faith renews that connection um, and kind of pulls us back into the family unit. But, you know, to understand that we are, we are crafted to be crafters, um, to create, to disciple, to, to grow each other. Yeah. And then, you know, we represent him, you know, even the word ambassadors mm-hmm. it seems very external, you know, but we are Christ's ambassadors that we bear his image, mm-hmm. you know, the same way as you, uh, you represent the people who run into you like, oh, you know, I know your parent, you know, and, and, and there's, yeah. you know, this aspect that we, we bear forth the family name and, and Rachel's parents used to always say to them, and it was kind of a, a joke, but I think also somewhat serious when they would leave to go back to college or somewhere, don't embarrass the family name, yeah. you know, and, it, and it's kind of, um. <laughs> You know, we talk about regularly as the church, you know, not as I can't, you know, there, there's, I am not so self-important to think that I can undo what Jesus did on the cross mm-hmm. or that if I mess up, someone will never come into a relationship with Christ. Yeah. It, it's not about me, but yet at the same time, if I bear his image and I'm a child of his, then like, yeah. I represent him. Yeah, there's, in, there's in a the way world. to that outside. Yeah, and, for and sure. There's a family linkage. Mm-hmm. So the, the final piece is the reconciliation imagery. And again, that's one of the main, you know, core, it's, it's one of the ten, but the idea that, you know, what happens in the cross is to fix that which is broken. Mm. Um, broken relationship, a need for a savior, you know, like all sorts of different nuances of that. And so in relational imagery, there are things that need to be, re, you know, rebuilt, recalibrated, you know, re- reconnected, um, you know, that there is something that the cross does to rejoin me to God, to to use, and you used the imagery last week, you know, that the bridge, you know, mm-hmm. that, yeah. um, you know, many of us have, have either seen or even used inside of talking to other people about faith, that if I'm over here and God's over here, you know, that the cross creates that bridge, uh, not just to connect me to God, but also to repair yeah. what creates the gap and, and creates the brokenness right. and, the, and the division within that. The Ephesians passage talked about, uh, he is our peace. And the word there is shalom. And maybe, you know, you've seen that or heard that. And and shalom as a translation for peace is not just the absence of conflict. In other words, there is shalom in our household because there was one piece of pizza and the kids didn't fight over it. You know, that's not what shalom is. Shalom is this kind of more like deep abiding peace that, mm-hmm. you know, has this aspect of completeness, wholeness, you know, that, that God's able to do something to bring about a peace that's more than just the absence of conflict, um, but almost like the, you know, the the rounding out, the completion, the repairing, the, the filling in the deficiencies of who I am and, mm-hmm. um, and inside of our relationships. Yeah. You know, so God, you know, constantly, you know, takes that initiative also uh, inside of our relationships. And it just jogged in my memory or my thought that, you know, <clears throat> it becomes like a glue, right? If there's a, a fissure or a breakage somewhere, 
you know, to connect the two dots, it becomes a smooth surface one, you know, it almost becomes one. Um, how they fuse bones together, I think, you know, now I'm way outside of my expertise. Uh, I only work with wood, so it's... <laughs> you lost uh, me at Fisher, so yeah. I don't know. I use, well, sometimes I use big words. I don't know where they come from, but um, my thesaurus is very big, apparently. Um, but, you know, as you, as you put something back together, as you glue it together and you sand it down and you sand it down and you sand it down, it just becomes this one piece. Um, and it's amazing to think that, that there was a gap between me and God and, and Christ becomes the bridge. And, and as they sand me down, as they file down my rough edges, it just is becoming this one, one connected, connected joint. Yeah. And, and it's all rooted in relationship. It's, yeah. not, it's not rooted in trying to measure up or make, you know, right. God like, you know, love you more. And, and I always think, you know, inside of relationships, there's both a, a peace or a comfort level and a sensitivity and so, you know, for instance, again, inside of a marriage relationship, I mean, there should be a growing sensitivity that I should, uh, that my heart should be changed to be able to, you know, to want to do things that, you know, bring honor or value or appreciation or assistance or, you know, that I, I think not just for myself, but for Rachel, you know, and yeah. there's a sensitivity there. At the same time, there's a piece that says, if I forget to empty the dishwasher last night, it's not like she's going to leave me tomorrow, you know, right. like. So, so there's both a peace and a comfort and assurance to know that, you know, part of being in relationship means that we're good and there's a, um, there's a steadiness to that. And yet at the same time, there's an increased sensitivity, mm. you know, that you want to begin to, you know, participate in the redemptive work that God's doing inside of your life to sand off some of those rough edges because, right. you know, he's doing something in me to make, you know, me look like part of the family and to re represent him inside of the world. Right. Um, and that's part of, you know, the work that takes place, you know, through the cross. Well, I think it's, it, you're hitting it right there is that it's not a one-way street. You know, it's, it's parallel walking. It's, it's journeying together in the relationship that is, is growing, you know, mm -hmm. you're trying to, we're not trying to reach some unattainable end, but together, you know, we're in growth. Yeah. Yeah. So salvation is relationship. Uh, that God made a way for you to belong, for you to be seen, for you to be known, for you to be included, uh, to repair that which was broken inside of your fellowship or relating to who he is. And the relational language is intentional language, like it's not passive language. And I think, again, like our relationships, some of the most important relationships in our lives, we know they're important, we say they're important, but it's easy to neglect or put them on autopilot or put them on the back burner. And so, you know, because I know that, you know, these kids are my kids and they'll always be my kids, then, you know, if I don't read the bedtime story tonight or if I don't spend time talking tomorrow, like, they're still going it, to, it, it's kind of, it, it's okay to sit on the back burner. Yeah. And I think sometimes inside of our lives relationally, you know, we, and again, it goes back to that sensitivity and peace, like, I can on the one hand feel guilty like God's mad at me if I forget to do my devotions tomorrow morning. But at the same time, like, no, there's, there's a peace there that God's got me and that we're, we're good and we're in relationship together, but also he's trying to reshape my life to the point that our time together really matters yeah. because of, of, of that relationship. Yeah. So um, I was thinking again back to yesterday and uh, two very different personalities, but uh, the theme that ran down through Betty Chaplin's funeral service was that we are never alone that God is always with us, that God is faithful, and he walks beside us. Um, and all throughout that, you know, the, the testimony of her life was 
of that kind of intimate relationship and relating. And even as one of our granddaughters talked about, you know, reading a devotional and taking time to like talk about it and pray together, and, and, and she cherished that. That was just who Betty was. It was mm. personal for her. Yeah. And then Herb, you know, a completely different personality, but I remember sitting in Bible study with Herb where everybody else would talk about a verse, and we would spend five or ten minutes, and then at the end, we thought we had it all wrapped up, and Herb would, like, drop something yeah. into the conversation that both completed it and blew it up at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, and that came out of not an academic pursuit of the Scriptures, yeah. but years of walking with Christ and, and, and relating to Christ and, and that depth of relationship that just came out. And I thought... Here, you know, are, are two people, you know, that the testimony of their lives, that, that to know them would be to know how important Jesus was and how personal Jesus was yeah. inside of their lives. And, um, and that's why this is not, you know, just a fluffy, frilly, me and, me and Jesus, you know, type of thing. This is at the heart of what happens in the cross and at salvation. Yeah. So I, I just want to wrap up, and this is... Again, this is probably not anything new, but I think it is a foundational place to start. And so I just want to ask you three questions, and I know that our, our time is going, but do you have a personal relationship with God? This is a foundational thing, and maybe you've been in church for a while and have never, you know, like come to the place where you said, you know, I've heard a lot about God, but it's never really become personal for me. Um, today can be that day. I think also this is something we need to continue to come back to is that, you know, the purpose of your faith in Christ is not just to shift where you spend eternity, but it becomes personal and it becomes daily and it becomes something that is active inside of our lives. So the personal relationship. The second thing, is there anything that's standing in the way? Now standing in the way doesn't mean you've lost your relationship with God or you've lost your salvation, but you know what? Uh, from time to time there, we get busy and God gets choked out. Or there's some area of disappointment inside of our lives and we say, and we get stuck with those why God questions, and it stands in the way of relationship. Sometimes there's areas of sin, and, and, and there's things that can come up that, that almost like a, a, a dam inside of a, a stream, like a log that gets stuck in the wrong spot, it stops up what's meant to be a flow and an ongoing relationship. And so is there anything that's in the way? And then the third is, you know, kind of what I mentioned about uh, with Herb and with, with Betty, that to know them, you could not spend five minutes talking about them without Jesus coming up. Um, is your relationship with God something that's very personal, very intimate, very internal? Is your relationship with God something that's visible to the outside world? Would the people who know you, not super well, but the people who know you pretty well or casually, know how important and how personal your relationship with Christ is? And I, and I think it's worth asking these questions, whether we've been in church for 50 years or 10 years, or it's your first day um, in church, is to think about these kind, of, say, you know, these kind of faith questions, because after all, salvation is relationship. So, well, thanks. Yeah, I man. Pr- appreciate that. It's, um, I don't know, it's less work for me, right, just to you know, kind of bring, bring <laughs> up. And, and, uh, um, let, let's, uh, let's pray together. I want to do something different here and just invite you to have your own kind of closing prayer uh, here as we wrap up, that if God is personal and God wants to make himself known, then uh, what would your prayer be right now? And maybe it's simply a prayer of thanks that we're grateful for the relationship and for the links that Jesus has gone to that we might have a relationship with God. 
Maybe you've become aware that there's something that stands in the way that is kind of blocking up the waters. Maybe your your relationship has grown cold or distant or been placed on the back burner. Maybe there's something that stands in the way or you get so caught up with what's going on around us. Maybe it's simply the question of, is your faith something that's visible to the outside world? And so let me just invite you now, in whatever way this message this morning kind of hits, take a a two or three sentence prayer and, and summarize what it means this morning that salvation is relationship and that God is personal. Father, I want to thank you this morning that you call us your children, that even language that's not just father or dad, but papa or daddy. We thank you for the lengths that you have gone to to prepare for and to allow and to make possible a relationship with yourself. And at times maybe we neglect that, or at times we take it for granted, or at times things get in the way, but... I pray in whatever way you would desire that you would, again, make it personal for us today. We're grateful for the cross. We're grateful for the the capacity that we have to know you, that you want to be known by us. We pray that you would meet us even inside of this time as we close our service together. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.